0: We are so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, we're in a series called "More Than a Story," and um, and and what we've been doing is is delving into the parables that Jesus told, and trying to find exactly what their contextual meaning was in the first century, and how they how they come into our world in the 21st century, and and that's that's always a stretch for us, and, and today we're going to look at a parable that, that quite honestly, it's easier to make the connection because when Luke records the parable in the 18th chapter of his gospel, um, he opens it with the statement that says, Jesus told them this parable so that, and the main thing is so that they would not lose heart. I don't know if you've ever lost heart, if you've ever been in a place where you thought things were going well and, or you suddenly realized that they, that they weren't going well. Uh, years ago, I encountered a reality that uh, everyone who is an athlete eventually encounters. And that is that you reach a stage in your life where the things that your body used to do, it doesn't do them anymore. You think it will do them. Your brain tells you it will do them. Your brain tells your body what to do. And then... Your body does whatever it wants to do, all right? It's not exactly the same thing. I, uh, I had a, that brought full uh, into my attention several years ago playing in a, a, a national church slow-pitch softball. Yeah, that's the other thing. When you're, when you're an old athlete, you go from whatever your sport was. Eventually, you end up in slow-pitch softball, all right? Um, and, and, and although now they tell me there's pickleball, for those of you who are older, all right? Uh, and, you, you know, you kind of... Find your way into something that your body can handle. And and along the way, slow-pitch softball is usually a a place where you find it. In this particular instance, I liked playing in this national tournament because it was a, a, a national tournament of churches that we all kind of were a part of this fellowship called the Church of God. And I was pastoring in Daytona Beach, Florida at the time, and uh, our team was driving up from Florida to Virginia, and there were teams coming from Ohio and Indiana. In fact, there was a team from east side there, one or two, actually, and and as we're playing in that tournament, I'm seeing guys, I had never played in that tournament before, and I'm seeing guys that I played college football with, or I went to college with them and they played another sport, right? And I'm remembering these guys as really, I mean, some of them are actually in the Hall of Fame, the Athletic Hall of Fame at Anderson University. I'm, I've never been in a Hall of Fame for athletics at all, but, but they, they were. And I, re, I remember being, you know, like, wow, and telling my guys from Florida, hey, listen, when we play that team, that guy right there, man, he can fly. Well, he couldn't fly anymore, all right? And, and, and In fact, the guy I'm talking about was actually actually an All-American track uh, and, and field athlete at the university. He is in the Hall of Fame over there. And, and on this particular, he was a tremendous athlete, played football, ran track, and uh, uh, was a wide receiver, was really, really good, but on that particular day, as uh, we we're playing and there are like five different uh, fields there and all these different teams from around the country, and, and between games, I'm sitting with a couple of our, of our former teammates, and this guy comes by, he, we were all like, hey, how you doing? He just grunts, Ruff! and I'm like, what, what, and he just keeps going, he gets to a garbage can, he takes his glove, and he throws his garbage, the glove in the garbage can. And then he sits down and he takes his shoes and he throws his shoes in the garbage can. And then he throws his hat and then he throws his coat. And he's standing there and we're all looking at him and he just humped off, went to his car. I'm done, I'm never playing this game again. And we're like, what happened? And one of the other guys from his church came by and went, he went 0 for 5 today, that's not a good day, all right? And, and the fact is, I played in that tournament several times afterwards Never saw him again. <laughs> he reached that point, and there is a point that you come to. Uh, culturally, we've kind of been going through that in in our in our world the last few years. Even before the pandemic, uh, th- there was there was this thing beginning to happen in people with relationship to to, to church, with with relationship to Jesus. Th- there were people who who quite honestly, they, they had tried church. They'd, they'd been in church congregations. They'd, they'd tried to do all the right things and they, and they just kind of kept running up against it. And, and In fact, maybe you were one of them and, 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 and you just came to the place where you said, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm just done with it. I, 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 I really, I thought I could do this, but, but I can't do this. And they just walked away from church. Then a pandemic hit. And it gave lots and lots of people an opportunity around the world and particularly in this country to say the same thing. I'm just, you know what, I'm just done with it. I'm, I'm not gonna do it anymore. And, and and then you've got the fact that we live in a culture where where the vast majority of people have no concept of, of who Jesus is. Jesus and God are, are quite honestly, they're, they're swear words or their words of expression. There's no connection to this God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love that that the Bible teaches us about. And the Bible's just a collection of myths and stories, and that's why we call this series More Than a Story, because Jesus doesn't tell the parables just to keep the stories going. No, he tells the parables to make a change in our life. But for some of those people who live in that world, there's no concept of that. In fact, sociologists refer to them as the nuns. They don't mean like N-U-N, they mean like N-O-N-E, like none, I have no faith. And so we're living in a world full of nuns and duns. People are just like, you know what, done with it. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've got friends who are there. And you've kind of struggled with that, with that whole concept. And so this morning, we're gonna look at a parable that Jesus tells. And when Luke records it, Luke tells us exactly why Jesus told the parable. He told the parable so that the people would not become a nun or a dun. He told the parable so that so those who had faith in Jesus Christ would not be people who came to a place where they said, you know what, I've been trying and trying and trying to do this on my own and I'm done with it. Or they would be people who, who never heard about Jesus and so they, they, they have decided this is all irrelevant to me. Instead, instead we've, you know, we've come to the place where we understand who Jesus is. Now, for some of you, you, you may look at me and say, Pastor, those are overgeneralizations. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But I know that also, when you're living in this kind of culture, you've gotta acknowledge the shift. I mean, when I, when I first became a senior pastor, I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in the, in the 80s, when I was a, a young, young pastor, and they would, you know th- th- let me tell you about Chattanooga in those days. In those days, if you didn't go to church, This is how, this is how, we called it the belt buckle of the Bible belt in Chattanooga. If you didn't go to church, but you wanted to go out to a restaurant for lunch, you dressed up like you went to church, so everybody thought you would go to church, right? They just, I mean, it was just that kind of thing. You you wanted everybody to think. Well, now we live in a culture where nobody cares. God did me a favor when he moved me from Chattanooga to Daytona Beach, Florida. I got to Daytona Beach People don't even care what they wear into church, okay? I mean, they're just like, I'll just wear whatever I wanna wear. And there's this, there's this sense in which, when we start looking at our world and looking at our reaction to it, we need to hear this parable. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me, or if not, you'd like one, there's one in the, the rack in the chair in front of you, just if you can reach out and take that, or the words will be on the screen, you can read along with me, but I'd like you to hear this parable. Because it's a, it's a parable for people who are either none or done, and they need to hear that God loves them, and you may need to hear that today. Listen, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected humanity. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect humanity, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, his people, his children who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? left on the earth. See, Jesus tells this parable so that we will not become people who lose heart, people who stop trying to connect with him. And for people who've never connected with him, he, he tells this parable to invite them into that connection. If that's you today, this is a parable of invitation. If you're one of the people who just, I'm done with it, I'm tired of it, or you're on the place of trying to figure that out, you've got to know this is a parable about what it means to stay connected to God. I know it's kind of hard to believe because you probably don't pick up all the nuances of the parable. It sounds like a pretty straightforward parable. I've heard people talk about it for years. What this really means is that you should, you know, you should be persistent. No matter if you feel like it or don't feel like it, you still need to get up and go to church. Whether you feel like it or don't feel like it, you still need to pray every day. Whether the words mean anything or not? Just keep doing it, keep being persistent because that's what the, the parable of persistent widow is all about. No, it's not. That's not it at all. You don't, you don't catch this until you really understand. This is not about the tortoise and the hare. This is not about how to be the Christian who just steadily keeps going when, when everybody else is running ahead and then falling off to the side. No, 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 that's not it. See in order to really understand it, you've got to see a couple of the things from the first century culture. First of all, we we know a couple of things. One is that this widow, this term widow, doesn't mean old. Uh, Oftentimes in in our culture, we think of someone being widowed. We, We think of them being elderly. We think of them being older. But that's not the case in first century Israel. In first century Israel, women were eligible to be married between the age of 13 and 14. Like, just out of middle school, okay? <laughs> they didn't have middle school. And they'd been prepared all of their lives for that, for that experience. They, their job, their role, their level of society was, was to become a wife at 13 or 14 years of age. And, and that meant that their husbands were usually, usually quite a bit older than them. But the average man lived to be about 30, 35 years old in that generation. So you could have women who were 19 and 20 years old who were widows. And and so when Jesus says there was a widow, he's not saying, oh, there's somebody older. He's saying there's somebody who's vulnerable. Because you see, a, a widow in that society only had one real source of revenue, of livelihood, she wasn't allowed, really, to, to take the kind of positions where she ran the company or did, did those kind of things unless her family owned the company. If her family owned the business, like Mary Magdalene's family was, was a, a fishing family from one of the villages near the Sea of Galilee. If you, if you were one of those kind of people, then you could run the business kind of behind it. You kind of held the purse strings, and as, as a woman, you could have that. But, but if, you didn't have a, if you didn't have a family to protect you, 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 you had no way of making money. Your, your only way of surviving oftentimes was prostitution, which is why the Old Testament talks to us about, about being people who care for the widows and the orphans, those who are vulnerable, those, those who can lose life and lose everything because there's no protector over them. There's no family system to protect them. So when Jesus is telling that parable and he, and he starts talking to the people, and he says, hey, there was a widow Their image was a vulnerable person, someone that should be taken care of, but she's not being taken care of. And so she's going to this judge to present her case. But the the deal is, once Jesus says she went before a judge, it said something else to the people in the first century. It, It said that this was an issue about money. Because you see, if it was an issue about anything except money, she would not have gone to a judge. She would have gone to a a tribunal. She would have gone to a group of elders within the community of the village, the Jewish community where she was. And so when Jesus says there was a young widow who was going before a judge to get justice, immediately the people were like, oh, wait a minute. This is about money. And most likely it's either about somebody who owes her money and hasn't paid it and she needs it, or it's about someone who's made a pledge to her husband and now that her husband's dead, they're not paying it. Or, or maybe, maybe it's about an inheritance that, that she's supposed to get and, and her adversary, as she refers to them, is, is, is someone who is refusing to give her her share of the inheritance. But in any case, it wasn't just, well, there's some elderly lady who needs help. No, that, that's not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus is saying is, look, there are vulnerable people who need, who need justice in their life. There are vulnerable people who need to be connected. And so this lady was one of those vulnerable people, and she went to the authority. But the authority, did you hear what Jesus said about him? Said he said he, he didn't fear God. Well, what that means is he had no respect for God. He had no reverence for God. He had no place in his life for God. He didn't, I don't know if he believed God existed or not, but he didn't even really care. He had no no fear of God and no respect for people, no respect for humanity. Now, if you have no room in your life for God and you have no room in your life for other people, what does that leave you? Yourself. So what Jesus is saying is there's this vulnerable person who needs help. She's going to the person who has the position of power in order to make the decision to get her the help and right the wrong and give her justice but the person to whom she's going is a person who doesn't care about her or anybody else or God or what God says. He only cares about himself. He's an unrighteous judge. And so when this lady comes to bring her case, she is coming before the worst case scenario, if you would, for someone who's vulnerable. Now, I don't think it's too much of a logical leap to talk about the nuns in our society, again, for those of you raised Catholic, I am not saying N-U-N, I am saying N-O-N-E, okay? The people who have no faith, the people who have no, no fear of God, the people who've ruled all of this out. Christianity is just another political party, it's just another economic uh, part of the system, it's just, you know, that no, no, listen. Christianity is not merely a religious system. Christianity is not a political party. Christianity is not connected to any one nation. Christianity is connected to Jesus. And Jesus came for all the people everywhere. And that means you. And so what's going on in this parable is really what's going on in our world. There are people who are vulnerable. Maybe you're one of them. They're in a place where things are not going well. They, they've got a, they've got a, a, a place where, where the pieces are not fitting together. The storms of life are rolling over them to use the metaphor that's overworked. And, and they're coming before a world system that doesn't fear God and doesn't value people. And when this lady comes, she keeps coming before him. And oh, by the way, this is a fun thing. When you look at the, the system the way the judge held court it wasn't like anything you're used to in the western world where you know there's a docket for the court and the judge gets the list of who's going to be seen that day you get a list you come you make your case you do no 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 it's not like that this court was set up where the judge is there and anybody who needs anything resolved is to come into the room, no appointment necessary, and the way you get in front of the judge is one of two things. Either you're the loudest person in the room and you shout everybody else down and you get what you need, or, and this was the more prevalent one, you bribe the judge to hear your case. And remember, he's an unrighteous judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people. So he's in this for the money. And he's going, okay, who's going to pay me to make this decision? And, and this lady has no money. She has no resources or else she wouldn't be there. She's there about money. And so what does she do? She goes every day. And no matter who else is there, when people start shouting for the judge to hear their case, she starts shouting louder. You hear my case, you hear my case, you hear my case. And Jesus says, eventually, even an unrighteous judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't respect people, sooner or later gets tired of being nagged. Sooner or later gets tired of this lady who's coming every day and shouting, hear my case, hear my case, hear my case. And so this unrighteous judge relents and finally hears her case. Now, I love love the translation that I read for you from the English Standard Version. It said, he so said, I'm hearing her case so that she'll stop coming here. What's he doing? He's trying to get some peace and quiet. And, and I love the fact that the reformer, Martin Luther, when he translated this passage, he translates it that she's going to make me deaf. <laughs> this is a loud lady. This is a lady with passion. This is a lady who has something that needs to be resolved. This is a lady who's coming into the room and she's saying, I don't care who all you men are bribing the judge. The judge is the judge. He's supposed to hear me, and I'm going to make him hear me. And when she does, she just keeps going and going, and finally, even an unrighteous judge, an unjust judge, hears her case. And this is the point of the parable that I find so interesting because I think it's at that point in the parable that you understand why Jesus is really telling it. Remember Luke said, he's telling telling it so that you will pray and not lose heart. He's telling the parable to the people so that they will see an example of what it means. the, The parable really, as I said, is really not about about the widow. She's really not the hero of the story. And it's definitely not about the judge, the unjust, unrighteous judge. No, 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 the real hero of this story is God. Because what Jesus does when he tells the parable is he looks at the people and he wants to encourage and he's saying, hey, listen to me. If your heavenly father loves you, who cares for you, who sent me here to you, cares so much about you, if an unjust judge, an unrighteous judge, who's only in it for himself and only in it for the money, and if, if he will finally hear the case, just because this lady is persistent and allowed, how fast do you think a God who loves you, who values you, who cares for you, will hear your case? Because my friend, that's the real point of the parable. The real point of the parable is that you have a heavenly father who's inviting you into a relationship. That's what prayer is about. That's why he said, I don't want you to lose heart praying. He said, I don't want you to walk away from the relationship. I don't want you to be done. And I don't want you to be a nun. I want you to be a person who has faith. I want you to be a person who has a connection. And by the way, when we use the word prayer, we need to make a little clarification in this, okay? See, praying is not coming to God And saying to God, okay, God, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. No, prayer is about this relationship with God. One of my friends said it best this way a few weeks ago in a discussion. Actually, one of our staff members, when we were talking about prayer, made the statement, you know, for me, the greatest part of prayer is that when I'm talking to God and i shut up and I listen, it changes my perspective. God's word, God's presence, God's spirit changes me. It moves me in a different place. See, if you will look and understand that the goal of your life is not, not to accomplish all your goals, there's nothing wrong with goals. Goals are okay. But the deal is, are the goals aligned with God? Are the goals aligned with Jesus? Is the relationship with Jesus there? Because here's what I want you to know. Here's what this parable is here to tell you. This parable is here to tell you that your heavenly father is more righteous than an unrighteous judge. An unrighteous judge will hear somebody just because they pester them, just because they nag them, just because they come every time. But your heavenly father actually knows who you are, what you need, and what is best for you. So prayer becomes this place, not where you're going to him and saying, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. But instead, God, change me, God, change me, God, change me. Shape me, make me. You see better than I am. You know more than I know. Now, by the way, if any of you know more than God, we're in trouble. Because the moment you know more than God, you're in charge of the universe and maybe you could handle it, but I can't, all right? If COVID taught me anything, it's that. None of us can handle it. So Jesus tells this parable to basically say, don't lose heart for three reasons. There's three reasons he wants you to not lose heart. The first is this. We can pray without losing heart because God values his people. He values you. He Knows you. He loves you. That's why Jesus said to him, look, if this unrighteous judge would hear and give justice, because this lady is coming to court every day and yelling louder than everybody else, and he just wants to get rid of her, how much more do you think your heavenly Father who loves you will give you justice? How much more do you think he will hear you? See, the God of the Bible, the God Jesus died, to tell you about, is the God who values people. And the moment people stop being valued, the moment people become objects for your use, the, the moment people become, become just a, a, a means to an end, then, then they, they cease being valuable, except for what you want to do. But see, God made every one of us God, I mean, look around. How creative is God? I mean, there's, okay, I'm trying to see how many twins we have in the room. We got a couple, right? Any identical twins? I know we got some that are close, right? See, even identical twins that we can't tell apart, God made each one of them uniquely. They're not the same. I have cousins who are twins. If they were to walk into this room, even now, at since they're older than me, I'll say at an advanced age because they may be listening. And when, when, when they walked in the room, you couldn't tell them apart except for one thing. One of them has a different colored iris in his left eye than the other one. That's the only way you can tell. The color of his eye is different. And, 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 and it, they, oh, trust me, they played all kinds of tricks growing up but they're each made in the image of God. See, you you, you can keep from being done with God and you can keep from being a nun about God if you understand that you were made by God and that God knows you and that he values you and that he loves you. But we we can also pray without losing heart, not just because God values us, but because God Gives justice. I want, I want you to hear that. God gives justice, and Jesus says he gives it speedily. Now, I want you to hear, God's speedy is not your speedy. Your speedy is like, I want it now, I want it yesterday. And God's justice is not your justice, because your justice is is designed to get what you want, and God's justice is designed to do what you need, and there's a totally different thing. And I know that for some of us, particularly this month, in February, which our culture has set aside for us to remember Black History Month, for us to value the contributions that have been made by people of color into our culture here in this country and around the world, and I encourage you, I encourage you to discover some of that to to the next time you ride an elevator, understand it was a black man who invented that technology. (laughs) I invite you to, you know, the next time you eat peanut butter, I want you to think about a man from South Alabama at Tuskegee Institute who found the secret to the peanut. (laughs) I want you to understand those contributions, but here's what I also want you to understand. I want you to understand that the injustice that has been done to people of color, brown, black, Asian American, whatever it is, some of you who even are part of a a privileged position in culture have faced injustice. Any person who faces injustice, Jesus tells us that God will bring justice He will always bring justice. The difference is, his solvent to injustice is different than your solution to injustice. See, for Jesus, for God, the injustice that they will make right is the injustice that harms someone they value. And for Jesus and God, for them to to bring justice means that ultimately, what happens in heaven is what needs to happen in us. See, I, I, there's some things about heaven I don't know. I don't know if there are really streets of gold. I don't know if your mansion's bigger than my mansion. I don't know that there are any mansions in heaven. Here's what I do know in heaven. Jesus is there. God is there. That's the place I'd rather be than anywhere else in the world. If I got a choice, I want to be wherever Jesus is. <laughs> If I had a choice, I want to be where God wants me to be in his presence. That's heaven to me. But I also want you to know, there's one other thing I know. Sin can never enter there because it's a place of complete justice. It's a place of complete peace. It's a place of complete healing and wholeness. And I'm not preaching a pie in the sky, wait till we get there kind of theology. No, no, no. See, the reason I'm telling you about that is because when Jesus was teaching us to pray, these same disciples that he, he taught this parable to about how to, how to not lose heart when they were praying, he had also taught them, you remember it? You've prayed it if you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. You remember that part? The part that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus is teaching us, If we pray, if we come before him, if we don't lose heart, if we continue to seek his will, if we continue to seek his face, if we continue to seek his heart, we continue to be people in whom justice comes and injustice fades. And you and I become partakers in the kingdom of God right now, today, in his presence. Because you see, there was this unjust judge and this vulnerable widow. And even an unjust judge would give justice to a vulnerable widow because she just kept yelling for justice. And if an unjust, unrighteous judge could do that for someone he didn't even value, because he didn't fear God and he didn't respect people. But if he could do that, how much more do you think your heavenly Father, who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who values you, will give you justice, will heal your brokenness, will rescue you from the storm? And then, and then Jesus does this crazy thing. At the end of the parable, where he's talked about how good God is and that God is really the hero of the story, that God's so much better than this unjust judge and that we are valued so much more than that judge valued the widow and that God wants to bring justice into our life. And then he turns and he says, but when but when the son of God shows up, will he find anybody who still has faith in him? You see, we... We can pray without losing heart. We can grow into who God wants us to be because he values us, because he will give justice, but also because he's looking for people of faith. He's looking for faithful people. And guess what? He's looking for you. He's looking for me whether you're on campus or online or later on demand, wherever you are, whoever you are, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, the sender of Jesus, to be your Savior and mine, that God, that God is looking for people who want to stay in connection with him, which is why Jesus on the night before he died, gathered with those who were closest to him, gathered with men and women who had laughed with him and cried with him, who had watched him do miracles, who had gathered around him in prayer. And they gathered to do what they had done every year of their life as Jewish people, to take the Passover meal to celebrate the fact that God had delivered their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt and brought them through the the parting of the Red Sea and and through the desert years and and that he had delivered them and provided for them. And every year as they had gathered, they'd heard that story and gone through the ritual, but to be honest with you, it kind of lost its real meaning for some of them. They were kind of done. And there were some of them who never really got it anyway. They were kind of none. But Jesus looked at all of them, both the nuns and the duns, and he said, you know what? There's more to this than meets the eye. And I want to give you something that will help you remember how valuable you are to God. And so he took the the cup. There were several cups that they would would take. One was called the cup of salvation. And as as he looked at that cup, he thought, you know what? that'll help. And then he looked at the bread, the unleavened bread that had been prepared in detail, and the recipe passed down for generations on exactly how to prepare this bread, and and it had been prepared, and he said, you know what, that'll do. And in the midst of that meal that they had come to do what they always knew how to do, he, he gave them a totally different meaning. He said, look, This bread that you're always eating, celebrating the fact that God provided manna for us in the desert for our ancestors and sustained us, from now on, here's what I want you to know. This bread is a symbol of my body. Tomorrow, I'm gonna let them take this body and I'm gonna let them stretch it out on a cross and I'm gonna let them crucify me and I'm gonna die. On the third day, I'm gonna be resurrected. But what I want you to know is every time you see unleavened bread, every time you sit down to eat it and you have it, I want you to remember not just that God provides for his people in the desert, but that I came to provide salvation for you. And and this cup, this cup that we use to celebrate the salvation that came to us because our ancestors took the blood of lambs and put it on the doorpost of their homes so that there was a passing over of them when the firstborn of Egypt were all killed. I want you to know, That's no longer the greatest thing in the world. The greatest thing in the world now is that tomorrow I'm going to be stretched out on that cross. And when I give them this body, which is symbolized by the bread, I'm going to let them completely ravage it. And I'm going to shed my blood. And the blood is going to flow from my head and from my hands and from my feet and from my side. And it's going to go all over me. And it's going to do that because it is shed so that you will know how valuable you are to God. So that you will know that God will ultimately bring justice in your life. That God will bring healing in your life. That God will bring wholeness in your life. So every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, I want you to remember me morning, as we consider a story that's more than a story, as we understand that the parable is not about the widow or about the judge, but it's about God who loves us. As we consider the fact that there were nuns in the first century and duns in the first century, and there are nuns in the 21st century and duns in the 21st century. And if you're in either camp, I want you to know His love reaches all the way to where you are. And if you're on campus with us, in front of you, in the little rack on the chair in front of you, you're going to find a prepackaged set of communion elements. What I'm going to invite you to do if you're online with us today is to take just a moment, wherever you are in your setting, to find Something that will represent the bread. Maybe a slice of bread. Maybe a cracker. I don't know what you've got. I've been at youth camps where people use Snickers bars. I really don't recommend it, but it worked. But whatever you have available, if you're wherever you are online, and then I want you to find something, something that will represent the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to, I'm going to say to those of you who are on campus, if you'll take that top layer off and just hold that bread for a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. Would you do that? And and then once you're standing, I'm going to say this to you. I believe that this is one of the most intimate moments that a follower of Jesus can have. I I believe that this bread that symbolizes his body and this cup that symbolizes his blood, that these are the things that remind us how valuable we are to him. And so as we sing this morning, I'm gonna ask you to make a sacred space. Whether you're in the balcony on the main floor, You're free to come to these altars if you'd like. Maybe you've got family with you or friends and and you'd like to do this together and pray together. While we're singing, it is okay. You have permission to leave where you are and come down to one of these altars as a group of friends or as a family or maybe just by yourself and take just a moment and say to Jesus, thank you. I remember. I remember. And I I want to not lose heart. I want to stay connected to you. If you're here today or you're online with us today and you've never been connected to Jesus, this is a great time for you to ask him to connect with you. This is a great moment for you to say to him, hey, Jesus, I'm gonna let you have everything in my life because this bread and this cup tell me just how much you love me. And so as we sing, I invite you, whenever you're ready, however you're ready, to take a sacred moment with God. When the song's over, I'm going to come back up and pray for all of us. But, but right now, I invite you to make this your time to pray, your time to know that you are valuable, that his justice will come, that his healing is right here for you, that he loves you so, so much, and that you can have faith in him because he has faith in you. Let's worship together.
1: When darkness tries to roll over my the chance when I
0: Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to let us know just how valuable we are to you. To those who are, who are hearing my voice right now who don't feel valuable, who feel vulnerable, who feel at risk, God, please, I'm asking you through your Holy Spirit to begin to let them know how much they are loved by you and by your son, Jesus Christ. To let them know that that they can trust you, that you will bring resolution, you will bring justice, you will bring mercy into their life and healing and wholeness. Jesus, we thank you for giving us such a rich symbol of bread and cup that we can remember what you did for us just in the, in the holding and taking of those elements and that we can know that, that in the power of your resurrection, we find the power of your kingdom and we find the faith not to lose heart, not to be done, not to be a person who stays a nun, But someone who can come into your presence, someone who can trust you, someone who can walk in the way you want us to walk, into places we've never seen before, places full of your grace, your mercy, your your amazing presence. Yes, the storm may rage, but you are the one who walked on water in the midst of a storm. And you want to walk in the water of our lives. So do that for us today. Thank you for all you are and for all you want us to be. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray.